Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know what, Dave? I have radio. so much feedback, man. I can't even hear you. in the morning there poor guy 
On Wednesdays, it's my show from 11 to 1, longest. A lot of times from 11 till 12 Eastern. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. On Fridays, we have Chris Patherick, who does The Farm. It's political news from a Main Street perspective. We had a couple of couple of hosts on. By the way, that's on from uh, 11 to 1 Eastern, same time. We've had a couple of hosts on different times. And they have uh, been on a hiatus. Of course, the summer is, I guess, uh, unofficially over. And I guess the 21st, today's what, the 16th? So in five days, it's going to be the beginning of fall. So maybe then people will be back in order and things will be as they were. But in the meantime, I'm going to try to reach John on his cell phone so we can talk about what happened to the poor guy at his job. Well, his old job. Uh, what happened to the First Amendment? Don't know. Did it ever exist? I don't know. Great. Uh, I want to dig this up before I reach out to John. Because this is something that, if you think about it, nowadays, the way that our right to free speech has been abridged, by political correctness and by not just peer pressure and political correctness, but court decisions. When you think about that, think, well, maybe this is something new. Well, guess what, folks? It ain't. I'm going to read something to you here. And you will get an idea about what I am talking about. Let me just bring this up here. Real quick, and this is a quote from Mark Twain on free speech. And if you've heard it, I'm sorry. If you haven't, I'm sure you'll like it. And we all know the drill about computers and the way that computers work is that they don't. They're always sluggish. So while I am trying to dig this up, I will get John on the line. Let me call him and see if we can get him. Hi, Dave. Hey, John. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. All right, good. So we reached you. That's excellent. All right, I just tapped you into um, in here to this line, but I don't know if I should call you from the studio just in case we get any calls. Um, what do you think? Do that because if, I, if I, I go ahead. I actually just I was actually listening to you. I was I called the studio directly, and you must not have seen me in the queue there. But uh, I actually yeah. was. No, yeah, I did see you, but you dropped off. You were there for like two seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on then because I, yeah. I called into the studio. For some reason, my Skype is my Skype's not working. My Google phone is not working. I mean, I can hear you, but it's just, there's so much distortion and static. It just is impossible to do the show that way. So, 
And this this is this is the same thing that happened to me yesterday when I was trying to use Skype. So I don't know what's going on. I just shut down my computer. I'm going to try to restart it here in a second. That's weird. Well, sometimes it does that. Uh, I wanted to actually talk about a uh, a quote from Mark Twain, and I'm looking for this um, this actual um, this actual article I did or an interview I did with um, with a peace protester, and all he was doing was just protesting drones. Uh, which I guess is you can't do that, uh, but but here it is. I just found it. So I don't know if you ever heard of this, but I'll I'll read this here as soon as it comes up. And he read he read a statement in front of the quote unquote judge um, when he was being sentenced. And again, like I said before, it seems like ever since this Y two K nonsense that computers have slowed down, not sped up. It says here in his statement to the court prior to his sentencing, he read a 1,617-word letter directly to the judge who was clearly uncomfortable with what he had to say. He quoted some powerful lines from a Mark Twain essay. Mark Twain didn't want published while he was still alive. Mark Twain called free speech the privilege of the grave, a privilege never afforded the living, save as an empty formality, not to be regarded seriously as an actual possession. As an active, as an active privilege, it ranks with the privilege of committing murder. We may exercise it if we are willing to take the consequences. Murder is forbidden, both in form and in fact. Free speech is granted in form, but forbidden in fact. Murder is sometimes punished, free speech always. Have you heard that before? You know, I don't know if I've ever heard that exact quote, but um, it definitely rings true, and I think it's obviously, you know, very true today in our modern context. You know, people think that we have this free country, when in reality we really don't. I mean, you can say things and do things as long as they go along with the politically correct narrative of history and, and, you know, what's popular today. If you, if you try challenging certain things or even if you criticize certain protected groups of people, um, you know, there are major consequences. As, as you know, as I know, um, this is the second time I've had to learn this the hard way. And, you know, it's just, it, it totally throws a hole in this idea that we live in a free country. We absolutely do not. That's right. Why don't we start from the beginning here? For the benefit of the listeners, there are some of the listeners who are going to know who you are, familiar with this story, but for those who are not, why don't you give them a little bit of background about who you are, like where you were born and, and what you've done, and bring it up to this point. Okay, sure. So I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and I went to, went to University of Nebraska, Omaha. I studied international studies. Um, I studied abroad a couple times. I was in Europe in 2006 studied in Peru in 2008, and, um, you know, I had a great time in college. I was uh, very intellectually curious. I was very interested. Well, I've really always been very interested in history and politics, um, you know, in current events, economics, geography, you know, those sort of subjects. And when I got into college, you know, my interest in these subjects only expanded. 
And, um, you know, I was, I was using the Internet to read blogs and to, um, you know, start, start watching and, and reading alternative media. I was a huge fan of a program called Democracy Now!, which is kind of a, a leftist sort of anti-war, um, you know, pro-environment, you know, anti-Wall Street type type news outlet. Um, it's run by a lady named Amy Goodman, I believe. I believe it still is anyway. It's been a long time since I've... Yeah, I, I used to TV. actually be on the radio with her in New York City. Oh, did you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, I didn't even know that. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was watching Democracy Now! every day. I was reading um, guys like Glenn Greenwald, uh, I was reading antiwar.com and, you know, some of these other sort of, again, anti-war, anti-Wall Street, uh, you know, pro-environment type groups. Um, in two, I graduated in 2008, in December of 2008. And if you if you remember, I'm sure you do, and most of our listeners probably do, that was right, that was the exact time that the whole Wall Street bailout went down and, you know, it was very clear to me this is even reported in, in, you know, mainstream news outlets like the New York Times, that, you know, all of these Wall Street bankers and these insurance firms essentially defrauded, you know, millions of people. You know, they, they were engaged in very uh, illegal, you know, criminal and, and exploitative business practices with these mortgages they were selling and how they were trading them and securitizing them. And, you know, it was just a big mess, and they, they basically wrecked the economy. And instead of being arrested and punished for their criminal deeds, these guys were rewarded with a bailout. And, you know, so this is going on right when I'm, you know, graduating and, and learning in, my, in the classes I was taking, um, you know, that America is a country where, you know, the, the government doesn't interfere in the private sector and, you know, everybody's got to work hard for their money, when in reality that was not the case at all. You know, these bankers were clearly committing criminal acts and the government was interfering and rewarding them for their criminal acts. It was absolutely outrageous to me. And, you know, so all this is going on and that had a huge, that had a huge impact on how I, how I viewed the government, how I viewed the media, because in many cases the media is actually running cover for these criminals and they were at the time and they certainly are still today. Um, so, you know, by the time I graduated college and you know, after reading all the alternative media I was and, um, you know, being very critical of the war in Iraq and, you know, the, the torture programs the CIA was involved in, and, you know, I was just learning so many things that are really kept hidden from a lot of people, and, unless you do, in fact, consult the alternative media. And I was just outraged. I mean, I was just, it, it was very clear to me that our government was very corrupt, that our media was very corrupt. And, you know, I, I was very interested in journalism. I, I started my own, you know, personal blog, mostly just to kind of practice my writing skills and get some ideas out there. And, you know, that, that's sort of where I was when I moved to San Diego, California. I moved to San Diego about seven or eight months after I graduated uh, from college. And while I was in college, I, I used to go to this, it was sort of like a discussion group. Um, that met at this restaurant uh, just right near my house where I lived at. And, you know, we'd meet at this restaurant once a week usually and, um, you know, screen a documentary and then talk about it. And, again, this was very, you know, a lot of it was very anti-war, anti-Wall Street, you know, along those lines. Nothing too controversial, um, sort of leftist, you could say. And, um, you know, I was looking for a group like that when I moved to San Diego that I could, you know, meet up with and participate and have these discussions with. 
And I went on the internet, and the very first group that I that I found, sort of you know like an activist type group that I found, was a group called the San Diegans for 9/11 Truth. And you know I had never really thought much about 9/11 prior to this, and I was like, oh wow, that's that's an interesting group. You know maybe I should go check out and see what they're doing. And they did something very similar to the group that I you know um, was involved with in Omaha. They had a, a monthly meeting at a community center out here in San Diego, and they would, you know, screen a documentary, a 9-11 documentary, and then talk about it afterwards. So that's what I did, you know. And when I, shortly after I moved here, it was probably within the first two or three weeks that I got here, I, uh, I, I attended my first San Diegans for 9-11 Truth meeting, and we watched Loose Change, I believe it was, and I was just so shocked. I could not believe that the government even lied about 9-11. And at the time, you know, I certainly didn't know everything I know today about 9-11, but after watching that documentary, it was very clear to me that the official story was certainly not true. I mean, there's so much evidence to show that what the government and what the media said, the official conspiracy theory that's been promoted by the government and media it's just not true. I mean, it was actually ridiculous if you stop and think about it, what they said happened that day. And I was shocked. I was outraged. I was frightened. Um, you know, I was really sort of traumatized, I think you could say. And I wanted to figure out what the heck happened on 9-11. And that's pretty much what I did. I mean, I, I did a lot of research. I read a lot of books, listened to a lot of radio interviews, uh, you know, read a lot of articles on the Internet about it. And, you know, over time, I came to the conclusion that Israel, the state of Israel, and Jewish criminals at the highest level of the American government and our mass media were behind 9-11. And they did 9-11 in order to justify and really kickstart this idea of a global war on terrorism. And it's interesting because Jewish neocons in the United States and Israeli political and military strategists concocted the idea of a global war on terrorism all the way back in the late 1970s. So these guys were sort of planning, you know, okay, look, we need the West to launch this global war on terrorism against essentially Israel's enemies in the Middle East. And they were scheming of a way to bring this about to really, you know, sort of justify and, you know, initiate, you know, the full-scale launch of the global war on terrorism. And throughout the 1990s and, you know, you could probably even say in, in the 80s, there were different terrorist attacks, very, uh, very, you know, under very shady circumstances. More than likely they were, you know, sort of false flag-style events that were cooked up by the various intelligence agencies. Um, and, and obviously most people know that the CIA, the Mossad, and some of these other intelligence agencies were in fact working with various Muslim, you know, sort of radical groups in the Middle East, including Osama bin Laden's group, you know, going all the way back to the 1970s and 1980s. Um, and, and so, you know, when 9-11 happened, this was really the game-changing event. This was really the catalyst that kickstarted all of this. And these guys were openly writing about these things. I mean, there's multiple policy papers that, you know, these Jewish neocons had written over the years that pretty much laid out their game plan. Um, you know, most people, I think, are familiar with the Project for a New American Century, where it specifically says that they need a new Pearl Harbor 
to justify, you know, what type of foreign policy they had envisioned for the United States. And that, that foreign policy they had envisioned was essentially using American and, and NATO military and, and human and financial capital to destroy Israel's enemies in the Middle East, which would pave the way for, you know, Jewish domination of the region. And that's exactly what we've, what we've seen over the years. I mean, that's what's going on in the Middle East as we speak. So, you know, this all became very clear to me. Um, I think everything I just said is very well laid out. It's very well established at this point. There's multiple books written on this subject. There's great articles you can find online about the subject. I've written quite extensively about it, um, and I've talked quite extensively about it on my radio program. Um, so that's the conclusion I came to, you know, uh, after I investigated 9-11. I started my own personal blog to write about 9-11 to get some of these ideas out there. Um, and also, you know, I, really to practice my writing skills and, and, you know, see what I could do on that front. And over time, you know, my, my website got somewhat popular and gained some traction. Uh, I started doing radio programs. I, I ended up hosting my own radio program. Um, you know, obviously I, I came to write for American Free Press, and now I contribute towards the Barnes Review as well. So that's really kind of my story. Um, one thing that I should make clear here is that I have been using my real name this entire time, and I think really the moral of the story is that if you do use your real name and you write about these subjects and, you know, you're critical of certain groups, especially the organized Jewish community, there are some very real consequences for your actions, and that to me is very unfortunate, but that's just the reality of the world we live in today. Project for the New American Century, they just recently scuttled their website. It was up there for years, and I was going through one of the articles a little while back, a couple months ago, and they're gone, so maybe they're wow. trying to hide. <laughs> they hide their dirty well, deeds. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, uh, you know, the cat's already out of the bag on that one. They can delete their website, but this information is out there, and millions of people have been exposed to it. And millions more will be exposed to it when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah you know, you know, cat's out of the bag. Here's the problem with what's happening today. I want to get into great detail about what happened to you, but here's the problem. Remember that article that I wrote and you wrote about that lucky Larry Silverstein or Stein, however you say his name, about about the World Trade Center, him trying to get more money than he should. Remember that article? Yes, yeah. And then I tried to place the information on Wikipedia about him saying that Building 7 was demolished on purpose, that he, he said in that America Rebuilds PBS documentary. And they were sure, yeah. Yeah, Wikipedia. Yep. Well, Here's the problem. You would think that something like this would be out of the bag, right? I mean, here's something pretty obvious. I mean, this this wealthy American Jew who's a big supporter of the illegal state of Israel, he admitted in a documentary that they put charges in the building and pulled it down. But even that isn't enough to wake people up. They're ever going to wake up? If I mean, here's like a stark example of mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. If that isn't waking up most people, they're more concerned about the Kardashians, about 
the Duggars or Dugars, however you say that name. I don't even know who they are, but I see them all over the internet. They're more concerned about this crap than they are about this important stuff. And obviously nothing's really changed. Maybe it's never changed. Here Mark Twain even said, as I read, that it's too dangerous to speak your mind. You can only speak it after you're dead. He didn't even want that published while he was alive. Now, Mark Twain was around, obviously, in the 19th century, right? I mean, here he is writing about this mm-hmm. so long ago, 150 years ago, let's say. Do you, do you think that there's really any hope for humankind that we're going to be able to, or the, the mass of us, critical mass of us is, is going to be able to move away from the distractions that are created by the elite media and really focus on the important things and get to the bottom of it? Or do you think that there's just really a, a very tiny, minuscule group of individuals such as you and I and, and other people like us who really want to get to the bottom of everything, regardless of where the truth leads. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, it, well, and I certainly have hope for the future. I mean, I think just since I started my, my, you know, my own personal blog, I think that there's been more and more and more and more and more people that have been exposed to this information that are getting involved, that are realizing that, you know, our, our country and really our world you know, have some very serious problems and, you know, we need to address them. We need to talk about this stuff openly and frankly. And, um, you know, I think that there are more and more people that are coming to our side and, you know, the, the problem, really the main problem is that the vast majority of people, the masses, their ideas and their perception of the world and, you know, how they think about things is shaped by the mass media and by the television. And that is a huge problem. Now, I think that, the mass media and, and the television, I think it's becoming more and more discredited as each day passes. But, you know, as the television gets, you know, sort of um, discredited, you know, there's Facebook and there's social media and there's sports and there's all these other distractions. So we are certainly competing with, you know, all sorts of other, you know, outlets out there that, you know, vie for people's attention and, and you know, money, their financial support and whatnot. But, you know, I'm, I'm confident that, uh, you know, in, in, in the weeks and months ahead that we're going to see some, some very real changes. I think what Donald Trump is doing with his, uh, you know, presidential campaign, which he may end up winning. I mean, he may end up being our next president. I mean, he has a ton of support. He's raising a lot of very important issues that are being exposed to pretty much the entire country. I mean, I think everybody in this country is, has been exposed to what Donald Trump is saying at, at the very least. You know, some of them may not agree with him, but at least they're being exposed to his ideas and his perspectives, which prior to his, you know, run for presidency, no one was really exposed to to some of the perspectives that he's putting out there. And, you know, I think a a lot of what he's saying is resonating with people. You know, a lot of people are supporting what he's saying. Excuse me, a lot of people are supporting what he's saying. And, you know, his ideas really are mainstream. And, you know, his ideas, are, are, I, well, I certainly agree with a lot of his ideas, especially when it comes to, you know, deporting illegal aliens, when it comes to the destructive nature of, you know, America's free trade deals and the corrupt nature of electoral politics 
and you know the the mainstream political establishment. I mean, he's openly saying these things, and these are important points that people need to you know to be confronted with, and he's doing that in a very big way. Um, so I mean, I, I really do have hope for the future. I think that you know we are making progress. I think that is reflected in the amount of traffic our websites receive. I think that's reflected in social media. Um, and a variety of other ways. So it's it's really just a matter of time, in my opinion. Now, are we going to be able to convince everybody to get on our side? No, I don't think so. But we don't need to convince everybody. We need a small, dedicated minority that's willing to do what it takes to to really make change in this world. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get into into you here. You said in your introduction that this is happening twice. Is that right? Yeah, um, back in 2013, a very similar situation happened, um, and this is you can find this all on my on my it's actually my old blog. My my current website is therealistreport.com, but I also have an old blog, which is a, a blog spot, you know, a blog spot blog that's you know three blog service that's offered by Google, and that blog is John Friends Blog. Blogspot.com, and I have you know a lot of this documented. My my previous employment situation documented over there. I was basically being harassed by somebody claiming to be with the Jewish defense, the Jewish defense league, and this individual was sending emails to me and many other people, including Mark Glenn actually, but but also other people, basically you know harassing us and. Now, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say he was threatening us, but he was kind of, you know, making sort of threatening remarks, nothing that, you know, we could legally pursue. But, um, you know, he's basically just harassing us, saying that, you know, he's going to come after us, et cetera. And I posted many of his emails on my old blog uh, for people that are, you know, if, you, if you're interested, you can find all this. Um, and, you know, it, it came to a point. This was going on for two or three months. And then um, one day I, I, I walked into my, to my old job, and I was basically fired on the spot. And their official justification was that I was violating their personal Internet use policies, which, you know, if I was violating the company's personal Internet use policies, the entire company was because I was doing, you know, basically what everybody else does. You know, I, I checked my email every once in a while. I, you know, read the news. I was not you know, writing on my website or blogging or, you know, doing anything like that. Um, you know, and other people that, that I worked with, you know, they'd go on Facebook and, you know, check their email and do very similar things to what I was doing. And what I think happened, well, it, it, I mean, if I can take this guy at his word, and I, and I think I can because he, he eventually emailed me. After, so after I got fired, the same guy, this Jewish defense league guy, or he claims to be the Jewish defense league, he emailed me about a week after I was fired, and he was sort of laughing at me and bragging that he's the one that got me fired, and he specifically identified where I worked at, and I didn't reveal that to anybody, so he knew where I worked at. So, he, I mean, it was clear that this guy was involved in this somehow, and I, what I think happened is he, he probably called my university and told them that, you know, I have this blog, and... I'm saying these critical things about Jews and Israel and 9/11, et cetera, and you know they put some pressure on him to get to to essentially terminate my employment, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you can't. So this was, and this was, I'm sorry, this was January of 2013 that this happened. So this was a couple of years ago, well, th- almost three years ago. Mm-hmm. And how long did you work for them? You said. 
Um, I was working for this company for, gosh, I, I want to say it was like, let me think here, 2010. It was like two and a half years I worked there. And, you know, to, to my knowledge, I never had any, you know, complaints, any, you know, disciplinary action. I mean, I felt I was a, a pretty good employee. I mean, I had progressed, you know, and, and been promoted a couple different times, you know, since I first began working there. And, you uh, Frankly, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something I wanted to do the rest of my life. It was just a job I worked at so I could, you know, pay my bills. But, you know, I was, I was, a, I was a good employee, and I, I thought I was, a, a, you know, an asset to the organization, and, and I think my, my record would reflect that. But, um, you know, that this guy essentially he was targeting me and, and is probably the one who ended up getting me fired. And what was the exact name of the company? It was called Ashford University. Okay, but I mean, it was just that. It wasn't like a division of it. It was just directly with the university. Yeah, it was a company called Ashford University. It's one of these online right. universities, um, sort of similar to um, like University of Phoenix. I think you could probably compare it. To right, that. sure, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. You, could, you could talk about anything, really, in the country, except that cannot criticize Jews. The only thing you can do with Jews is talk about how great they are. If you talk about That's how right. great they are, they are the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, they are just wonderful. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with them. They're perfect. I love Jews. Just the fact that for some weird reason, there is this prohibition against discussing this one topic just because of that I want to talk about it. How about you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that kind of raises some red flags, right? I mean, this is the the one group you well, I wouldn't even say it's the one group. It's the main group you're not you're not supposed to critically discuss and certainly not criticize. I mean, it's gotten so bad now where I mean, you can't even you can't criticize homosexuality. You can't criticize, you know, blacks for committing outrageous crimes against whites. I mean, the, the political correctness is so out of control and ridiculous. You can't criticize anybody except for white people. <laughs> right. The only people you're allowed to criticize are white people. You can blame white people for all the wrongs in the world. You can, you know, write blogs and books and go on radio shows and go on Facebook and just trash white people, specifically white heterosexual males you know, the very people that founded this country and invented right. all of this technology we use today, um, you know, those are the only people you're allowed to criticize. If you criticize Jews, if you criticize blacks, if you criticize illegal aliens or just, you know, legal third world people living in the United States or Europe, um, you know, if you criticize women and feminism, you are the ultimate evil. And, you know, people are being persecuted for these, for standing up to the beliefs all across the country. I recently signed back up uh, on Facebook, and I've heard from two or three different people uh, just in the past day or so saying that they themselves have been fired from their jobs for doing very similar things to what I'm doing. I mean, I don't know the exact circumstances of some of these other people that have contacted me, but, I mean, just the fact that there are other people out there being persecuted and being fired from their jobs and being you know, ostracized from their families and stuff like that, simply for having an opinion on these very controversial issues, that to me is a huge problem. And frankly, it's, it's totally un-American. It runs counter to every single principle 
this country was founded upon, it's outrageous and it's unacceptable. Then they're getting away with it. Then they're getting away with it, yeah, and it's got to stop. And people got to stand up and they got to support people that are doing this and, and risking their risking their lives, essentially. And you, have, to stand right. up and, and you have a child. Yeah, I do, yeah. So, so, so somebody depends on you. Jew from this terrorist organization, Jewish Defense League, may have known that if this Jew knew this about you, all these intimate details, he may have known that. So, and I mean, like you said, all this stuff is documented. This isn't anything, um, you know, this isn't an epiphany for us to be talking about this. In fact, it's quite boring that uh, we have to mention it over and over again in such a way that, you know, people should already know this stuff. I mean, there is an assault on freedom of speech by Jewish groups. There has been for many, many decades. They don't like it when people are allowed to speak their mind, only when they're allowed to speak their mind. But then when we say something like this, we're the bad guys. And exactly. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know this, I know this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, you're right. And what's interesting is if you look back in like the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, Jewish organizations were the leading proponents of free speech because all of these radical leftist Marxist Jews were out there, you know, propagandizing the public. And, you know, they, so, they, so they basically wanted free speech for Jews at the time. Once their very radical anti-white, anti-American ideas became mainstream in the universities, in the media, then they reversed course and said that we can't have free speech. So it's interesting how they, how they pursued this strategy. They were the original proponents of free speech because all of them practically were radical anti-white, anti-American communists, now that their ideas are mainstreamed and institutionalized in this country, now they're the leading proponents, you know, against free speech. Right. right. So basically I mean, what the Jews are doing, anything that, that supports the Jewish agenda is permitted, anything that runs contrary to the Jewish agenda, whether it's multiculturalism, diversity, the promotion of homosexuality and sexual degeneracy, you know, massive third world invasion of the West, you know, you name it, anything critical of 9-11, anything critical of World War II and the, the fake Holocaust story, they're totally against free speech on those subjects. Right. Anything. I mean, even, even referring to them as a Jew is not acceptable. I mean, you could say, well, this guy's a Christian, this guy's a Muslim, this guy's a Jew. Whoa, excuse me? We're Jewish? Now, you see, even that point, and you know what? They're going to get away with it. And the reason is... It's not because of you or me or, or people who are awake, and we like to think we're wide awake, but it's because of everybody else. It's because of your neighbor who doesn't spend enough time paying attention to these free speech issues. Because of them, mm -hmm. the Jews are allowed to have their way. And it's not just because they block vote and because, obviously, that there's an inordinate number of Jewish billionaires who uh, have a, an axe to grind with mostly, like you said, white civilization, because they're not white, they're Asiatic. It's, it really has to do with your neighbors, my neighbors. I mean, if we talk about this stuff to our neighbors, they're going to look, like, look at us like, you know, we're nuts. I mean, even this article here in the San Diego Union Tribune from September 10th, Ex-city mm -hmm. worker runs anti-Semitic website. Even that, I mean, 
talk about the language. I mean, anti-Semitic, I mean, even that word in, in and of itself doesn't make sense at all, but it's used mm-hmm. because people allow it to be used because nobody's really critical. Nobody's intellectually hungry like you were talking about. You were, say, wait a second, anti-Semitic. How can you be anti-Semitic? Semitic is really like a language. And, and besides, these Jews aren't Semites. I mean, they're from like Central Asia. Shouldn't it be like anti-Jewish? I mean, why isn't it? <laughs> yeah, why isn't it anti-Jewish? Okay, so he runs an anti-Jewish website. Not okay. This is what it could have said: ex-city worker runs pro-American website. Exactly. It very well could have said that, and it would have been totally accurate. Right. Man quits Escondido job after being told. To <laughs> man quits Escondido job after being told be fired or resign. I mean, that even sounds stupid. Does that make sense? Man quits Escondido job after being told be fired or resign. Mm-hmm. Is there something well, wrong I mean, with, that, that, with that with that English here? Um, it is a little bit awkward. You're right. right. It's, but, it's I mean, awkward. But, what he's saying, I mean, it's it's actually incredible. The article that this guy wrote, his name is J. Harry Jones. The article he wrote was actually very fair. I mean, he does use the buzz with the anti-Semitic buzzword. I think also in the article he um, he mentions that I contribute to quote unquote white supremacist websites. But aside from that, I mean, he uses those two buzzwords. But the rest of the article is very fair. I mean, it's incredible, you know, what this guy did. I mean, it's, it's a, a very objective article and you know if you go read the comments i haven't checked the comments for a day or so but last time i did check them there's over 200 and practically all of them were in favor and supportive of me so it was really um you know an amazing thing to see develop yeah i read the article it might be go ahead it might be it might be it might be good to kind of give you just a timeline of what happened yeah i was going to ask you about that yeah please yeah. Okay. So basically, I started working in a part-time capacity for the city of Escondido. Um, I believe it was September of 2013, so almost two years ago. And um, you know, I, I worked part-time in the recreation department. I was responsible for organizing and, and pretty much managing the adult softball league that we, you know, that most cities have like adult recreation type sports and I was responsible for for managing the adult softball program I also rented fields out to um, you know youth travel softball teams and stuff like that I, I helped out generally at the front counter of the recreation department and you know did a lot of other you know just basic things and, and you know for the recreation department and I and I did that for about a year and a half and um, I was I was looking for a full-time job with the city I have a master's in public administration and, you know, I, I really wanted to get involved in, um, you know, working for a city or county government or something like that. And I'd been applying for jobs with other cities, with the county of San Diego, um, also with the city of Escondido. And a position opened up in the city manager's office. And a lot of cities, uh, certainly in San Diego, but really all across the country, a lot of cities, uh, their form of government, is a, it, it, they call it a, a city manager, city uh, city mayor, or city manager, city council type 
organization. That's kind of generally how it's referred to. And what it basically means is that there's, you know, an elected mayor, an elected city council, and then there's a full-time professional public administrator that manages the city, that oversees the day-to-day operations, um, that, you know, consults with city council and advises city council, and, you know, is responsible for all the different departments in the city, is responsible for, you know, any sort of operational type thing relating to the city. Um, and, and I worked in that office, and in this office, you know, we, we worked pretty closely with the mayor, with the with the city council members. We were right next to the city attorney and the city clerk. Um, you know, I, I kind of got to know, it, it, when I started working full-time in, in this capacity, you know, I kind of got to know a lot of the department heads, um, and then obviously city council and the mayor and stuff like that. And, and my position was certainly, you know, I was not implementing public policy or formulating public policy. I was you know, it wasn't a very high-level position at all. It was basically an entry-level, you know, sort of clerical, administrative, and, and customer service-type position. And it was great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed my job. Um, the people that I worked with were great. They were all very nice and very passionate. Um, I was, frankly, very impressed with how the city was managed and, and governed. It was um, it was very good. I mean, it, it, these people knew what they were doing, and, and they did their best to make sure that, they were providing, um, you know, high-quality customer service to everybody. They were trying their best to, to improve the city, to, um, you know, encourage and foster economic development, stuff like that. So, I mean, it was I, I was very impressed. I didn't see any corruption or anything like that. You know, most, uh, you know, governments get a very bad rap, and, you know, people think they're corrupt and this and that. But I didn't see anything like that going on at the city of Escondido. Again, I was very impressed with everybody. And, you know, I had a great time. You know, I got to know a lot of people. I, um, you know, it was, it was just a great experience, really. And, you know, the thing is, is I, I knew that at some point somebody was going to discover my website. I mean, I'm using my real name. It's not very difficult to find my website if you just do a simple Google search. And I knew this was going to come about at some point. So basically what happened was on Labor Day. So, okay, Labor Day was just, was that last Monday? Um, uh, that was the seventh, I think. The seventh, yeah. So what, today's the uh, today's, today's the sixteenth. Okay, so that was yes, last yeah. Monday. So that was last Monday. So so Monday, September seventh. Um, you know, the city was closed. It was, you know, it's a national holiday, so nobody's at work. I had sort of a family emergency come up, and I knew I was going I was not going to be able to come to work on Tuesday, September eighth. So I texted my supervisor and I told her, I said, Hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to come to work. Do you mind if I use your sick day? And, you know, she said, no problem. You know, not at all. You know, take your time and you know, hopefully everything's okay. And we'll see you on Wednesday. So I didn't go to work on Tuesday, September 8th. And that afternoon on Tuesday, September 8th, at about 3:45 in the afternoon, I received an email to my personal Gmail account which is associated with my website, therealistreport.com. Um, and I received an email from, from this very same reporter who wrote this article in the San Diego Union Tribune. He emailed me and, and identified himself as a reporter, and he said that uh, he had been ticked off to my website and the fact that I work in the city manager's office. And, you know, he wanted to know if I wanted to do an interview with him. He informed me that he did, in fact, contact the city to tell them about my website. He wanted to know if the city had any comment or if the city even knew that I had a website like this. Um, you know, he wanted to find out if I was still employed, things of that nature. So he's basically 
trying to get a, a statement from the city. Hey, look, here's this guy that works in your office. What's the deal? You know, he's got this website. What do you guys think about it? What are you guys going to do about it? Okay, so when let, and, me just, let me just interrupt you here. So when when this happened, when you got the email, what happened to you? Did like did you develop like a uh, butterflies in your in your stomach? Uh, did you say I'm done? How did you feel when you got that email? Um, I no, I wasn't really nervous or anything. I mean, I, I read the email and you know I was kind of surprised by it. But I mean, I, I again, I, I had I knew this was going to happen at some point. I mean, so you were you, know, you were prepared I'm, for it. You weren't caught off guard. Um, yeah, I guess you could say that. I, I mean, I expected it. I expected. So I didn't. You know, I didn't. I didn't really expect a newspaper reporter to contact me. But I, I, had, I knew at some point the city was going to discover my website, and I didn't know how they would handle it. I mean, you know, I, I, I just didn't know. I just, I knew at some point this was going to come up because what I'm doing is, is no secret, and um, you know, my website's fairly popular. You know, I get a lot of attention, and you know, depending on what I put up there and stuff like that. So I think it was only a matter of time before they discovered it, or before somebody, you know, informed them about it. But that being said, I was very – and this is clear in the article, if you read the article. Um, I, I did not talk about my website at work. I did not talk about my political or historical beliefs at work. Um, you know, I kept all that stuff private. I did my job as best as I could. I was trying to learn as much as I could about the city, how the city worked, because I really wanted to advance. I mean, I, I, again, I have a master's degree in public administration. I you know, wanted to pursue a career in local government. Um, I think I probably could have done that if I didn't have this website. I think I had a lot of potential to move up and, and you know, advance in the city. And people even told me that that worked at the city. I mean, you know, I had a great relationship with everybody I worked with. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I think, again, I had, I had the potential to really advance and move forward in the organization. So getting back to your question, no, I, I, I wasn't really surprised or caught off guard. I, I mean, I guess I, well, I guess I didn't expect a reporter to, to email me like that, but that's what happened. And this is just Tuesday afternoon. Again, I was not at work, so he's calling them, and you know I'm not even there, so I wasn't able to get in touch with this reporter on Tuesday. I woke up and I went to work on Wednesday morning. I got there a little bit past 7:30. I work by 7:30 to five, you know, pretty much every day, or at least Monday through Friday. And um, I got there. I approached my supervisor. And she is – the office that I worked in was actually pretty small. She was the executive assistant to the city manager. So she worked directly for the city manager, as I did. I mean, she was my direct supervisor, but ultimately, you know, the city manager was the, the, the main boss, you know, because he was the head of the city. <sighs> so, I mean, the office was small. It was her. It was me. It was another lady that, that worked in the office. And then there was the city manager, the assistant city manager, and then there was the uh, director of economic development who was part of the city manager's office, but she had sort of a, a separate and function. And she had two staff members um, that also worked in our office. So it was pretty small. And then, of course, we had the mayor and city council. And, they're, you know, they're, they're separate. They're, but they're, they're, all their offices were right in the same area. So um, I approached my supervisor as soon as I got to work on Wednesday. And I told her, I said, hey, you know, there's something I need to tell you about. Um, I was, and I was going to explain to her that this newspaper reporter had contacted me. And I was going to tell her that. Uh, and she said, okay, you know what, hold on. Let's, we're going to talk in the next, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. 
And, you know, after about 10 or 15 minutes, she asked me to come into a conference room, and the director of human resources was there, the assistant city manager was there. And I had been working very closely with the assistant city manager, um, you know, basically helping him if he needed any sort of assistance with really whatever, you know, copies or, you know, getting documents or proofreading stuff. You know, just, you know, just really basic stuff like that. I was, I was helping him quite a bit with, with, uh, with things of that nature. And, um, you know, so it was him, the, the director of HR, and then my supervisor. And, you know, she explained to me that my employment was being terminated and I had the option to either resign in lieu of termination or accept the termination. I ultimately decided to resign in lieu of termination, which may not have been the wisest decision, but that's what I did. And she, she, um, she basically said that I just wasn't a good fit for the office and things weren't working out. And, you know, she left it at that. My employment classification with the city was technically at will. Um, I was not in a union. I, my employment was, from what I understand, my employment was basically at the discretion. My, my employment status was essentially at the discretion of my, of my supervisor, and I could be terminated or let go at any time, you know, without reason, um, and that's pretty much what happened. She did explain to me that her decision um, didn't really have anything to do with my website or with this newspaper reporter contacting the city. She said, um, you know, she had made her determination prior to even discovering my website, which may or may not be true. Probably, I have heard probably not. That. that sounds like bullshit. Right. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a hard time believing that, especially considering – to my knowledge, um, I, I did not receive any disciplinary action. I was never reprimanded. You know, I thought I was doing a good job. And, you know, things were going well, I thought. So, I mean, but that's what she said. And who knows, maybe she'd decide to, to fire me before she even found out about my website. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. Or for sure. Uh, but I will say that I have a hard time believing that. And so that's what happened. Um, you know, I, I resigned in lieu of termination. I signed the document, and I collected my things, and I left. This reporter ended up calling me shortly after I got home, um, and he wanted to, he really wanted to meet up with me and, and talk to me and interview me. And uh, uh, he informed me that, you know, somebody did, in fact, tip him off to my website and the fact that I worked for the city. He told me that he contacted the city. And he also explained that right around the same time he contacted the city, there was another person who contacted the city as well. And he thought that this other person was a former employee of the city. That's what he said. That's what he explained to me. He wouldn't tell me who, who informed him or who tipped him off. He didn't have any information um, about the other person who had contacted the city. So basically there was multiple people contacting the city right around the same time to tell them that I have, a, I, you know, I have this very controversial website, this, you know, quote unquote racist website, this anti-Semitic website. Um, and, you know, basically asking the city, Hey, what are you guys going to do about this? Are you guys going to keep this guy on board? What's the deal here? Um, and obviously they didn't keep me on board. Uh, they, you know, they pretty much fired me immediately. So um, I decided to meet this reporter. I met him on Thursday morning we went to a local cafe. We actually live in the same city, which is kind of funny. And we met at this local, you know, breakfast spot and just had a very 
you know, thir- it was like 30 minute conversation. I did not want anything on the record. He wanted to record the whole thing, and I told him that if he wanted to quote me, he would have to do it via email. He could send me a list of questions, and I'd be more than happy to respond to them, which is what ended up happening. But we talked for about 30 minutes. You know, I kind of explained um, my background, where I came from, how I got into this, sort of like what I did at the beginning of this conversation with you here today, Dave. Um, and, you know, I kind of elaborated on my views of 9-11 and World War II, my perspective of World War II, um, including the fake Jewish Holocaust story, which I do write quite a bit about on my website and for American Free Press and the Barnes Review, for that matter. And, um, you know, the conversation was about 30 minutes, and I ended up leaving. He emailed me later that day with a list of questions, which I responded to, and I sent him a photo of me holding a copy of American Free Press, so we got lots of exposure when that went in the newspaper, when that went up on his website. And he ended up publishing his article. Uh, It was published on the San Diego Union Tribune website on Thursday, September 10th, and um, it was in the print edition of the San Diego Union Tribune on Friday, September 11th. And you know what? I could I could go grab the article. I actually have the yeah, sure. edition of the newspaper. And you know, it might be worth just reading it because again, sure. it is very it is very objective. And he he um, he communicates some of the main points that I've been making on my website. Um, you know, really what I focus the most on, and that is the fact that Israel and Jews committed 9-11. They are the ones that organized and executed the events of September 11th and have used that event to advance their agenda, to you know, launch this global war on terrorism, to justify the homeland security you know, paradigm of American you know, domestic law enforcement policy. Oy vey. Um, right, yeah. So, and, and he also talked, in, in this article, which we'll read here in a second, he, in this article he also talks about um, the fact that I believe and I can prove that the Holocaust story is not is just not true. And, you know, it's interesting. It's a, it's a really interesting article. I posted the – oh, by the way, let me just mention this. If you guys go to my website, my personal website, uh, therealstreport.com, you'll see a, a category up on, the, up on the main menu bar that says City of Escondido. I've posted a number of um, items there, including the full Q&A that I did with this reporter. I posted the the full thing, and he did use some of my some of the quotes that I sent him from this Q and A in the article. But I posted the full thing there. I also posted um, a couple emails that I've exchanged with him, and an email that I sent to the city, some of the city people that I worked with, trying attempting to get clarification on some things. Which, of course, I didn't I didn't you know hear back from them. I, I didn't expect to hear back from them, but I. I thought I'd at least try to get some clarification before I started talking about this stuff publicly. Um, so, you know, there, there's, and there's also some other things. There's actually, uh, it's interesting, uh, after the story came out, and, you know, again, if you read the comments on the actual article, on the, the one that's published online, pretty much all of them are very supportive of me, for the most part. I mean, it's probably 85, 90%, you know, supportive of me. And, and I'm not sure if you have that article. Pulled. Yeah, how I, many I, comments, I do. 200, how many comments are on yeah, there? 201. And I didn't go through all of them, of course, but I went through the ones on your site. And, yes, I would say probably 95% or more are supportive. Yeah, so and, and that's interesting. And there's actually even some people I knew personally, some, you know, one of my neighbors and, and also other people that, 
um, I've worked with that, you know, left comments on there saying, hey, look, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree with everything John says, but you should be able to say it, and, you know, he's a good guy, and this and that. Right, so it's, it's, right. really been, it's really been an interesting an interesting story. Did you grab that paper, Joe? So, yeah, I did, yeah. Let me go ahead and read this. So this okay, yeah, there. go ahead. I'm, I'm going to actually yeah. walk around on my headless, on my cordless headset and uh, smoke a cigar while you're doing that. How about that? Okay. How does that, that grab? Sounds good. All right, go ahead. I'm listening. Hey, that's fine with me. Yeah, so the, so the article is titled, Ex-City Worker Runs Anti-Semitic Website. And then, um, you know, the, the secondary headline says, Man quits Escondido job after being told to resign or be fired. And it was written again by uh, a reporter for the, for the San Diego Union Tribune named J. Harry Jones. And the article says here, a 29-year-old clerical employee in Escondido City Manager's office was forced out of his job this week after city officials learned he operates an anti-Semitic website and is active in a movement that blames Jews for the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Now, it's interesting because this article was published on September 11th, and he says right here in the very first sentence, that, you know, I'm involved in a movement that blames Jews for the 9-11 terrorist attack. Now, if people out there that are reading this with a critical mind, they're going to read that and say, oh, my gosh, why would you say that? Let me go find out. Let me go on the Internet and see what I can find out about Jews being responsible for the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And, you know, I think there's probably – I hope that there's, you know, more than one person that did that. You know, hopefully there's all sorts of people that were like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Why would he say that? You know what I mean? Sure. So I thought that was great, the way he put that right in the very first sentence here. And the article goes on to say, Poway resident John Friend was hired by Escondido about three months ago as a division coordinator, which is responsible for a variety of administrative duties in the city manager's office, including supervising support staff and helping develop office policies and procedures, according to the city's website. Um, And just to be clear, I was really not in a supervisor capacity by any means. Um, I think he got that from the actual job description posted on the city's website. But just to be clear, I was, I was not supervising anybody. But it sounds better um, to say that. Yeah. Uh, okay, the article continues. City officials said they were unaware at the time that Friend is an outspoken blogger and contributor to several white supremacist publications. Mm-hmm. So there's the two buzzwords, anti-Semitism, and white supremacists. You're a skinhead, John. <laughs> right. Um, the article says, Friend told a reporter he finds inspiration and guidance from America's founding fathers, as well as white Christian patriots such as Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels. City manager Clay Phillips said he was unaware of Friend's activism until the reporter began asking questions about it and a second person called in the same tip. So again, a reporter called into the city and told them, and then another person called into the city as well. So I find that interesting that there were multiple people calling the city right around the same time to tell them about this. Right. And again, my supervisor told me specifically that her decision to terminate my employment didn't have anything to do with my website and my political views and this reporter. However, this article published in the San Diego Union Tribune makes it very clear that that was, in fact, why I was forced out, right? I mean, they're basically saying, look, this guy was forced out of his job because of this. Mm -hmm. So, again, I find that interesting. 
The article continues, a friend and at-will employee before the city said he was called into his supervisor's office on Wednesday and given the option of stepping down or being fired. He chose to resign. Though he enjoyed his job, friend, who had previously worked part-time in Escondido's recreation department, said he wasn't surprised he was ultimately let go. I thought it was inevitable that my political and historical views would become known to the city, he said in the email to the Union Tribune. I thought that their knowledge of my writing, publishing, and speaking activities, as well as the political and historical perspective I openly espouse, would ultimately result in my termination. Philip said he could not comment in detail about the situation because it's a personnel issue. However, he said, John worked in this office, and I did find out about some of his writings on the Internet, and it certainly raises concerns for the city and for me personally as his boss. That you can speak your mind. Right. Yeah, it's a concern that people should have opinions. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly, especially politically incorrect opinions. Exactly. Um, And it's not even opinions. It's just like basic facts that I'm stating publicly, you know. No good In many cases – yeah, I mean, in many cases, um, you know, I'm quoting Jewish publications and Jewish writers and authors and activists themselves. I mean, I'm quoting these people. You know, we do control. We do control the media, and I'm glad we do. Right? Yeah, they're looking at these things. They're writing about these things. So, anyways, this this sentence is interesting. It says here, sources said, friend kept his political. I'm sorry, sources said friend kept his political beliefs quiet while working and was generally well-liked in the office. This <laughs> is interesting. Mm-hmm. So I didn't say anything about this, and most people seem to like me. It goes on to say, in an email interview with the Union Tribune, Frank said he didn't list any of his writings or website work on his resume or in his job interview, but neither did he try to conceal his political or social views. On his website, therealistreport.com, Frank posts stories that assert, among other things, that the Holocaust is a false and inaccurate interpretation of history made up by the Jewish-dominated media, and that the 9-11 attacks were orchestrated by the Israel government to create the international war on terrorism. Wow, what a huge, what a huge... Uh, uh, boring. We know that, right? <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, that, those are, again, the two main points I'm trying to communicate to the world. Right, and, and you're and you're not, and you're not being deceptive at all. You're using your real name. You're not hiding mm-hmm. anything. You're letting everybody right. know exactly what your opinion is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, this guy p- puts this right in this article. Hey, this is what this is what John Friend asserts. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's it's false. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. This is just what he's saying maybe some people went and checked out if what I said was right. And I think if people do, they will quickly discover that what I'm saying is exactly right. Um, So the article goes on to say here, in a blog post five months ago, he said, quote, the huge number of Holocaust survivors, and he put Holocaust survivors in quotes, the huge numbers of Holocaust survivors well into the hundreds of thousands still today are undeniable proof that the extermination claims are a hoax. The Nazis kept them alive as best they could under nearly impossible circumstances. The real mass murderers were the Western allies. Again, something that all they have to do is read, and they find out that this is true because 
the Germans were not the efficient killers that the Jewish-controlled media wants us to believe. But this is so revolutionary, the stuff that you're, you're talking about, that oof, we cannot let this information out. That's right. The article continues here. In his email to the Union Tribune, Friend said he considers himself a white Christian American patriot. That's who finds philosophical... <laughs> right, yeah, he can't be a white Christian patriot in America anymore. Friend considers himself a white Christian American patriot who finds philosophical and intellectual inspiration from America's founding fathers. I have also researched and studied a number of important, yet completely marginalized, and in many cases demonized, white Christian patriots, including Adolf Hitler, Joseph Goebbels, George Lincoln Rockwell, the founder of the American Nazi Party, and many others. Friend said while he is highly critical of the federal government, he was impressed with the leaders and employees of Escondido and that he enjoyed his time there. Mm-hmm. And that is that is the end of the article. Yeah, that was good. What I didn't like about it was that he mentioned, even though he did mention the Founding Fathers, because you put the transcript in on your website, therealistreport.com, right. you mentioned the Americans, and he just went right to Hitler and Goebbels, or Goebbels, however you say his name. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, and, and, Thomas and, and Jefferson. Russell. Right, yeah. Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine, George Washington, and Andrew Jackson. That's who you mentioned first. But then he skipped right, right over right. them because they're not important. What's important is are these alleged bad guys that uh, – Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I didn't like about the art. Although there were good points about it, I agree. He he did a good job. He he actually should write for American Free Press because <laughs> he's telling he's telling the truth in in in, uh, in a large part. But he did leave those names out, and I thought, did you did you pick that up as well? Yeah, I know. I mean, he was definitely trying to tie me, you know, to the Nazis and imply that I was some sort of Nazi or something like that. And I'm certainly not a Nazi. I mean, I'm not German. You know, I, this isn't the 1930s. I'm an American. And, you know, I certainly find inspiration from the National Socialists and their political and, and um, you know, it's more than a political philosophy. It's sort of a worldview. I mean, I think that what they were saying and writing about, you know, is, is very true. I think that they were making a lot of very good points. And they had a very good, um, you know, a public. Pol- I mean, their public policy was very good. I mean, I think that what they were doing for their country was was right and, and good. And you know, similar things could be done in America if we didn't have you know leaders telling the truth and that has some courage and, and backbone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a Nazi. I'm not German. You know, again, this is not the 1930s. I'm an American. And you know I'm fighting for for an American revival here. Yeah, did, did that that doesn't matter, John. Did they uh, did the the National Socialists even use the term Nazi? You know that's a question that comes up quite a bit, and I know that there's a pamphlet that uh, Joseph Goebbels wrote entitled "Those Damned Nazis," and it kind of just gives a gives an overview of of what the, the National Socialists believed and thought. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not really sure if if they themselves referred to them as not if they themselves referred to themselves as Nazis. But certainly if you look at the word Nazi in the Western media and you know in the British media and in the American media, it's definitely been used as sort of a slur 
um, you know, in, in a way to kind of demonize the Germans and the National Socialists. So I'm not really sure. Maybe they did, but it's definitely been used for, um, you know, propaganda purposes in the West. You know, it's been used to demonize the Nazis. Yeah. I've thought about this whole Holocaust thing, obviously, for a while and how they got away with it. And I think that because, obviously, the folks who wrote books and memoirs at the time, the, the prominent figures during World War II, made no mention of this alleged Holocaust. And, of course, the International Organized Jewry Group has been bringing up this six million figure since the end of the 19th century because they have to, you know, satisfy some kind of um, religious uh, requirement here that once six million of them perish, then they can move to the next level. So, again, this is something that anybody with with a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of interest in this can find out for themselves. We're not we're not talking about anything revolutionary. But could it be that the Holocaust myth has been able to uh, be propagated so successfully because it was part of the Allies' decision that, yeah, let's make the Germans out to be as bad as possible and we'll just go along with what these Jews are saying. Do you think that, that it's not just the Jews who are saying, you know, we have to, this Holocaust thing, which obviously the Holocaust and, and Israel was not very important until really the, the so-called Six-Day War. That's when, that's when they really started to hammer this stuff home. Do you think it's because the Allies wanted to make the Germans the bad guys that it, it kind of dovetails into the whole elite New World Order scheme to dominate any country that desires to be nationalist? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're spot on. Um, I think if you look back, you know, at the end of World or even during World War II, but certainly at the end and during the Nuremberg trials, um, you know, the, the Jews were coming up with these false stories of persecution and, you know, gassing and whatnot. And this is, this, they were doing this all the way back in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. The Jews have been, you know, constantly promoting this, this story of, of, you know, persecution and, you know, anti-Semitic violence being waged against Jews, whether it's in Russia or in Germany or in Hungary or Poland or wherever. You know, they always have these, in many cases, false stories of persecution. Um, and really, that's all the Holocaust is. It's just a continuation of that and really an institutionalization of that false narrative of history. And, you know, British propaganda, American propaganda during the war, after the war, was, I mean, it's called atrocity propaganda, where they were leveling these atrocity stories and saying that the Germans were committing these atrocities in order to demonize them, in order to generate support for the war, in order to, um, you know, tell the American public, hey, look, and, and the British public, for that matter, look, these Germans are, are brutal beasts. They're killing innocent men, women, and children. we got to rally to, to stop these people. If you look at all of the Allied propaganda against Germany, it's very clear that that's exactly what they were trying to do. And that's what the Holocaust story really is all about. I mean, there, there was um, BBC broadcasts, you know, during World War II saying that Jews were being gassed by the Germans, and there's absolutely no evidence to support that. The gassings, the, the gas, the quote-unquote gas chambers that the Germans used were simply de-lousing facilities that were, that were, you know, used to prevent typhus from spreading, to you know, kill disease-spreading bugs and insects. 
the same thing that the Americans were using here in the United States. I mean, it's really ridiculous when you stop and think about this and do your and, and, and research this because and, and the whole idea of these concentration camps has been entirely distorted. The official German policy relating to the Jews has been entirely distorted. Um, and really, it's incredible because even Jewish historians, Jewish Holocaust historians, have had to concede that there was no official policy of the German government to genocide or murder the Jews. The official policy of the Germans was to get the Jews out of Germany. They were, they were recognized as non-German. They were recognized as very hostile and alien and subversive and, frankly, criminal in many cases. And these people had to go. They were, most of them were communists. And, you know, the Germans clearly recognized the threat of communism. They clearly recognized the Jewish nature of communism. And they wanted these people out of their country. And, and I support that. I think Jews should go over to Israel. They have their own damn country. We don't need any of these people in America or Europe or Britain. They have their own country. They all need to go there and leave us the heck alone. And that's what the Germans were trying to do. So these concentration camps were simply ways for the Germans to get the Jews out of Germany. And if you look at the true nature of these concentration camps, some of them were sort of detention facilities for criminals, for subversive communist agents. Many of them were labor camps where, you know, these Jews were, were you know, provided sanitary living conditions. They were fed. Some of them were paid in many cases. I mean, there's evidence to show that a lot of these concentration camps had swimming pools and, you know, sports facilities. And, you know, they were able to put on plays right. and screen movies and stuff like that. And, and, maternity, so, I mean, and maternity wards. Right, yeah, they had hospitals, they were caring for these sick Jewish patients and, and, and doing their best to, you know, keep them alive and to ensure that, you know, they were able to work and, and help support the German war effort. That was critical for them, and there's German documents that prove this. What, they, you were know, they, they were work camps, and I think that that, they were real, camps. Right, that was the real Holocaust for these Jews because they were forced to work. <laughs> right, what you mean yeah. we have to work I mean all, all people have to do is just look at the history of a lot of these Jews and they I mean just go here to or go to New Jersey and Lakewood New Jersey and you could see that most of them don't work they're on the on the public dole and they have six seven kids and and they get to study their religious books and we have to pay for them so the Germans were going through the same exact thing that we're going through today, but back then it was more acceptable for somebody to say, look, you're not going to leech off of us. If you want to leech off of us, get out of here, and you're not going to destroy our society, which they've been doing. Again, a very well-established to us, a boring topic because we know it so well, but to right. your average American, and I'm not saying European because they're much more aware than the Americans are, to your average dumb American, which they are, they're just downright dumb. I mean, all you have to do is look at the geography quizzes that have been given to Americans. I mean, they, they come in last or very close to last over many decades. They don't know anything. So for them to understand this, forget about it. That's why I don't think there's any hope. I know you do, well, but I don't think there's any Well, see, the, the, problem, the problem with the Holocaust story and, you know, the 9-11 official story and, and many, other, many other official narratives of various events, but especially the Holocaust and especially 
the propaganda that is associated with it, the propaganda that's associated with instilling these ideas, these narratives of history in our minds, of perpetuating them and reinforcing them, it's all very traumatizing. It's all very emotionally exploitative. You know, think about the Holocaust. I mean, the first thing, if you talk to anybody about, you know, your average person on the street about the Holocaust, what are they going to tell you? They're going to tell you that they saw the, you know, the, the piles of dead bodies and, you know, they, they saw the images of these emaciated prisoners and, you know, maybe they, they had some Holocaust survivor come to their elementary school or junior high and tell them about the horrible experience that they had. So, I mean, and, and none of this is, is real legitimate evidence to demonstrate that the Holocaust happened. It's just very traumatizing and, and exploitative propaganda that's used to instill this false story in people's minds. And it becomes very difficult for them to think critically about what the, about the information they're consuming. It becomes very difficult for them to entertain alternative perspectives as to what exactly happened during this period. And that's what's so insidious about it, is that the Jews know how to manipulate it psychologically. And really, the Holocaust story is nothing more than an ongoing psychological warfare operation being carried out primarily against the German people, but really all of the Western world, because Jewish leaders are openly saying that, you know, white people as a whole are responsible for the Holocaust. And because of the Holocaust, white people can no longer have their own countries. They have to be multicultural. They have to be diverse. They have to accept millions of non-white aliens because racism is bad, Hitler is bad, Nazis are bad, and white people are bad. That's basically what they're telling us. It is absolutely unacceptable and ridiculous anymore, and I, for one, will not stand for it. Thank goodness, because you're a real American. We need more people to do this. We need that city manager, that mindless city manager, who through his ignorance and silence is allowing this organized jury and obviously their accomplices to get away with this and nobody well, I saying think, anything. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that we have the ability to reach people like, like the city manager and like, you know, other people like him. Um, you know, this was, uh, what happened to me was a huge, um, you know, wake up call. I think it was a, really sort of a a major event. I mean, certainly in my life, but I think perhaps it could be a major event in this movement we're involved in, this truth movement, to, you know, really tell the American people what's really going on. And these people at the city, all of them were were totally confronted with my views. And, you know, I'm hoping that some of them at least will look into what I'm saying and recognize that what I'm saying is, in fact, the truth. And I can prove it. I can document it you know, in a very scholarly, academic fashion. I'm not just making this stuff up. And, you know, this is the point that I, I, that I made to that reporter that I talked to, and it's a point that I make to friends and family um, and, you know, just other people I meet. I'm like, look, guys, I would not be saying these things if I didn't know they were true. If I, if I didn't know um, for a fact that what I'm saying is true, I would not be doing this. If I couldn't back up what I'm saying with legitimate evidence and proof, I would not be writing these things. I would not be saying these things. Right, but that's the problem. The problem is you're an honorable man, and you did the honorable thing by resigning because you didn't want to play the charade, which is what they were doing. They were just simply playing a charade. They could find out all about what you're talking about, and they might agree with you, but they can't talk about it. Just like those Holocaust denial laws in Europe, what is it, like 16 or 17 countries where you can – 
believe this, you can think it, but you can't voice it. So these people, this city manager, these other people, these are the real traitors, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Well, you know, I don't know, man. I think think in in many cases, you know, people – just your average people, even high-level people. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't have time to sit down and investigate all this stuff. They rely on the mass media for information. They rely on, you know, mainstream history books, the history channel, the television for their information. And that's really unfortunate. And the problem is is that these mainstream outlets are totally compromised. They're totally controlled by Jews for the most part. And they're being used as a weapon to, you know, to falsify history, to, you know, distort reality and to demonize white people specifically. And that's a huge problem. And I think that's really the issue here. It's not necessarily that these people are traitors. I mean, the masses in in many cases don't have the time or even really the interest or the ability to sit down and sort all this stuff out. They rely on who they believe to be honest reporters and, and, you know, academics and, and teachers and whatnot and political leaders to tell them what to think about important, about important things, about how to think about the world. And when you have a traitorous elite class of people who are governing these institutions, it creates a big problem. And that's where we're at today in America and really the wider Western world. So I think what it boils down to is we need honorable, decent, honest people standing up and telling the truth about these things, and that's what I intend to do. Well, that's good. But, again, I consider these people traitors because there's more of them than they are of the elite. And if they start standing up and saying, you know what, this guy John shouldn't have been forced to resign. He shouldn't have been threatened with termination because he's speaking his mind. And, and who cares about what he thinks? Who cares about the Holocaust? Who cares about exactly. anything? When I, when I was mentioning the six million number, you, of course, are familiar with Professor Jim Fetzer, as I am, yeah. in his latest book. And I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. On page 283, he's talking about the Holocaust, that it's one of the biggest shams in the history of humanity. And he says here that there are more than 236 references, 236 references to 6 million Jews who are either in acute distress or about to be assailed in the newspapers of the world prior to the Nuremberg Tribunal the first of which appeared in 1890. The number seems to have no basis in fact, but to have theological origins from a disputed passage in Leviticus as to how many Jews must perish before they can return to, quote, the promised land, unquote. Right. It's a yeah. joke. It's yeah. a joke. The whole thing is a joke. Yeah, and see, people people aren't told these things. I mean, this is not taught in our history books, the fact that the the organized Jewish community, going back to the late 1800s and continuing all the way up until World War II, and even during World War II, yeah, I mean, this is an ongoing propaganda campaign. It's an ongoing fundraising campaign. I mean, that's really what the Jews were doing. They were saying, oh, hey, look, going in the Midwest, we're being persecuted in Russia and and, Poland and Germany. We need money. We need to be accepted as refugees in the West. And that's exactly what they were doing. And in many cases, their tales of alleged persecution and, and you know, violence being committed against them were entirely false, just like the false Holocaust story. Right. Or they so, were I mean, they had a track by the Jews themselves. 
or they were perpetrated by the Jews themselves, yeah. which is well known that that the Jews attacked other Jews in order for them to emigrate to to Palestine, which is not even Israel. But this exactly. guy Clay Phillips, Clay Phillips can't even pull his head out of his ass in an, for enough time to find this out because Clay Phillips doesn't care. Clay Phillips doesn't care that you don't have a job anymore. Clay Phillips doesn't care provide for your child anymore. So Clay Phillips is a traitor. Um, I, I don't, I may, maybe he does feel that way. And that would be very unfortunate if he did. Um, you know, I have hope that him and other people in the city and other people that read this story will actually look into what I'm saying and, and come to the, conclu- come to the obvious conclusion that what I'm saying isn't that correct. And there's all sorts of proof and evidence to support what I'm saying. So who knows, maybe, maybe the people will be reached. Maybe, um, you know, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that him and other, him and some of the other major figures in the city will be retiring within the next couple of years. Maybe they'll end up supporting, you know, this movement, this movement for truth and justice in America. Who knows? Yeah, hope, um, right. But, but, but generally speaking, I think, yeah, you know, if people are confronted with this information and, you know, they're too timid, they're too afraid, too mind-controlled to even consider it, then, yeah, that they are certainly a huge problem. And, yeah, I mean, maybe it is, maybe you could call them traitors at that point. Yeah. Let's go over a little bit here what happened here. At-will employment, I'm reading this from Ziopedia. And, of course, Ziopedia, Wikipedia can be used for basic, you know, generic, perfunctory, boring stuff. They cannot be depended on to give you proper information, as we have found out over the years. At-will employment is a term used in U.S. labor law for contractual relationships in which an employee can be dismissed by an employer for any reason, that is, without having to establish just cause for termination, and without warning when an employee is acknowledged as being hired at will, courts deny the employee any claim for loss resulting from the dismissal. The rule is justified by its proponents on the basis that an employee may be similarly entitled to leave his or her job without reason or warning. In contrast, practice is seen unjust by those who view the employment relationship as characterized by inequality of bargaining power. So this whole at-will concept developed, it looks like, during the late 19th century and has been endorsed by the by the U.S. Supreme Court, which really shouldn't be there anyway, because the Supreme Court should not be able to rule on states' issues. It should be able; it's supposed to really only be able to rule on on federal United States issues. But somehow, uh, it got corrupted, and where we are, where we are now. Now, Escondido, where you worked, um, you know, I did a little research on that. Interesting, you know, the word I think means hidden or hidden treasure. Um, hidden, yeah, hidden. Hidden Valley is, I think, whatever it is. Something like that, yeah. Uh, that yeah. that that town is, let's take a look at it here. Um, it was uh, incorporated in 1888, and mm-hmm. it's pretty high elevation, 646 feet, you know, relatively for that part of uh, the country, you know, being near the water and everything. And the population looks like uh, almost 150,000 or maybe more now. And right. dem- demographics, it says here that... Um, 60% white, 2.5% black, and, of course, Latinos are about 50%, but, of course, they consider these are non-Hispanic whites, 
percent of the population. So non-Hispanic whites are forty percent of the population. Yep. Blacks are two and a half. Yeah, and the Latinos are about fifty. Yeah, the demographics have have really changed drastically over the past thirty, forty years, from what I understand. I mean, you know, if you go back to the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, seventies, even Escondido is. Like mo- like most cities in California, almost entirely white. Yeah. And you know now it's yeah now it's um you know primarily Hispanic or, or Mexican or you know Central American people and a lot of them are illegal. Um, I well I'd, I'd imagine anyways I, I don't know that for a fact but I'd imagine that at least some of these people are illegal aliens just like you know there's millions of illegal aliens all over this country, um, but you you can see you know the effect that the you can see the effect of the of the demographic change on the city um you know crime is higher uh you know it's some areas are, are very bad in Escondido and there's gangs and whatnot so you can certainly see the effects of the, the demographic changes in, in the city itself just like many other cities in America yeah, we can't talk about that though because that's racist and in the article I mentioned that you were from the the town of, and I did the research before we spoke, P-O-W-A-Y, which is pronounced Poway, right? Correct, yeah. Poway is basically just south of Escondido. About, it, it takes about 20 minutes or so on the interstate to drive from Poway to Escondido or vice versa. Poway's a little bit different. Uh, 70, about 77% white, 1.5% black, and it says here that Hispanics or Latino of any race, were 15.7% of the population. So that's a big difference from Escondido, right? Is that accurate? But yeah, that, that is accurate. Okay. As far, I mean, as far as I know, yeah. Right. And California, of course, a lot of people think that, well, we have the First Amendment, but they don't really go far enough to understand the First Amendment to the United States Constitution applies to the federal government, not to anything else. So... If we look at the Constitution of California, which Chris got this, sent this to me via Skype, the actually uh, the applicable part of the Constitution as far as freedom of speech is that it seems like it applies more to journalists and reporters and publishers and radio and TV reporters, not so much to individuals. So who knows what California really thinks about freedom of speech, but you have. Well, now, Dave. Go ahead. I I consider myself a journalist. And, you know, right, but but you weren't in a, a journalistic journalistic capacity uh, for you right, know, okay. job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you are a journalist. Absolutely, you're a great journalist. And but the problem is that you were working for this city and not in the journalistic capacity. Now, you have created a a little site here. Besides, of course, I mentioned your, your website, realistreport.com. You've created a site on, how do you say it, Indiegogo? Is that the right way? Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. I did create um, a fundraiser through Indiegogo, as I'm sure you're aware and many other people listening are aware. I used to have a PayPal account, and I was permanently banned from PayPal. Why? Likely as a, likely as a result from pressure from the Southern Poverty Law Center. What did you do, um, though? You know, I, what, what, what did they say that you did? Well, just because of the, the content of the material on my website. 
And there have been many other people that have websites and blogs that write about similar subjects as I that have had their PayPal accounts terminated as well. So, I mean, that's to be expected. However, I have used Indiegogo in the past, and I, I was able to successfully conduct a fundraiser and meet my goal, and I'm hoping to do the same thing now again, um, you know, just to kind of raise some funds to help me get through the next month or two and figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah, well, you've raised right now, it looks like um, $1,304. You're trying to get $2,000 here. And right. this website will be linked to the interview. So if anybody wants to help out John, well, please do. I mean, this is why and the reason that we're we're talking. I mean, I myself have, a, as you know, a history with, with the First Amendment, with freedom of speech, because I was mm-hmm. sued by the New York Stock Exchange. They were trying to silence mm-hmm. me, and it went all the way up to the uh, federal courts. Well it, well, it was in the federal court jurisdiction, the Southern District of New York. And the judge who ruled on my case was um, the black fella who was involved in the 1954 Supreme Court uh, Brown versus Board of Education decision. He has since passed on. He was like a thousand years old when he allegedly wrote the 30-page opinion, which I I doubt that he did. It was probably his clerks. I mean, I think that's the way it works. I know enough about the law to know that they're just too overwhelmed these courts, and and they just really don't even look at look at these matters until many times the day that it's supposed to uh, be in front of the court. But here, the New York Stock Exchange sued me because I was critical of them on the internet, and this was back in the early days of the internet of course the the internet was released for commercial use in 1992 and i got on in 1995 and through dial-up boy that was a lot of fun and then i started to right. write about the new york stock exchange in the late 1990s and i was just amazed like you were about what you found out and i just i would write about it this stuff would just pour out of me many times at two three four in the morning and I created a cult following, and it developed into a um, a website that wasn't really out there before about being critical of Wall Street. It's fashionable now, but prior to that, it wasn't. And, and I saw through the New York Stock Exchange, and I tried to get these people educated about it. And, of course, they did, and they appreciated it. And then when the market started to go up, they said, hey, Dave, thanks for all your advice, but we got to go because go, go, the market's going up. i got to make money. So it's a whole fear and greed thing, and people just don't stick to their guns when it comes to real change. They're just in and out, basically for themselves, the whole free rider concept of political science. But here they sued me. I took it all the way to as far as I could, and I won. I didn't win anything, but but I won. They basically ruled that I could say what I want and what I want, even though what I was saying was many times vulgar because I was using curse words. I could do it. It was in within, mm-hmm. within my right to do it. Now the New York Stock Exchange isn't the United States government, but it was a quasi governmental institution at the time they were supposed to be there for the public good what a joke you know as you could see from that guy richard grasso leaving there with about 150 million dollars for being a public servant of course if you asked your average american about him oh yeah he's the guy that got the nyse off the ground after the arabs attacked attacked us in 2001 
So the reason we're talking is not just because of my background with, with free speech issues, but it's because of what happened to you that this type of matter really shines a spotlight, not just on you, but it shines a spotlight on the newspaper that we write for. And mm-hmm. the reason that it does is because it, it really shows people how important it is for a newspaper in this country to be a real newspaper. And of course, American Free Press uses the tagline, sometimes America's last free, last real newspaper. And isn't it America's last real newspaper? Because it's not beholden to anybody, because your matter here completely highlights why American Free Press is so important, why the media is supposed to be there in the first place. We're not supposed to make people happy. We're not supposed to make people feel good. We're supposed to get people angry. We're supposed to give people the uncomfortable facts. That's our job. Mm -hmm. And that's what you are doing. That's what you're doing. And that's why it's so vital for people to support not just you, and I hope they do, and I hope you get the money here to help, help you get over this tough patch here that was created by everything that we're talking about. But it's so important for people to support an independent newspaper because if the day comes that American Free Press is either forced out of business as their predecessor, the spotlight was by the organized uh, Jewish interests, and that's exactly what happened to it. If it's not forced out of business by them, or if it's just allowed to wither on the vine, where are you going to go for your news? Alex Jones? Right. Yep. So people just, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah, people need to really listen to this story. Listen to what happened to John. Look what happened to John here. Just a regular American guy from from the breadbasket of the country, Omaha, Nebraska, has a child, just speaking his mind. But it's not allowed. You're not allowed to speak your mind. And if you write about it, that's even worse. Right. And, you know, I think that th- this story and, and similar stories, um, you know, th- this really does outrage people. I mean, and that's reflected in the comments on the on the news story on the San Diego Union Tribune's website. I mean, people recognize that, look, this is wrong. I mean, you don't even have to. It, it's, it's regardless of what I'm saying. I mean, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to support, you know, my, my writings or anything like that or, you know, entirely endorse them. But people people recognize that, look, this guy should be able to say whatever he wants. This is America. This is supposed to be a free country where we're allowed to have opinions and we're allowed to express them. And there shouldn't be negative repercussions for doing so. And, you know, certainly leftist groups, you know, anti-racist groups, anti-white groups, they're allowed to do these things and, and not get fired. I mean, you can be, you know, very anti-white. You can be very, you know, pro-homosexual and, you know, pro-feminist and, and, you know, all these other, all these other sort of leftist type movements. And you can openly espouse these opinions and, and you won't be fired. You'll probably be rewarded and promoted. In fact. Not probably. However, you, you are rewarded and promoted. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's a huge double standard here. And, you know, this, this type of story, my situation, this really does anger people. And they recognize that it's wrong, fundamentally wrong, and fundamentally anti-American. But there are those people who, and they've left comments under the article, under both articles, there are people who feel that 
by you talking about Hitler and Goebbels as white patriots, that that's a problem. Right. Well, I mean, I think I can make a pretty strong case in both regards. Um, and then I understand some people don't agree with that and that's fine. But I mean, just the fact that, you know, I should be able to say these things and this is my opinion and this is why I believe these things, right, you know, that, that, that <laughs> exactly. Right. This is to, again, <laughs> so maybe we were wrong, thing. John, maybe, maybe, it ne- and this, and I, and I always hit on this point, but maybe it never was America. Maybe we were wrong. Maybe we're stupid. It might be that. In fact, the more I learn, the more I'm beginning to believe, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that I'm an idiot and I was wrong. And I actually believe these things about America. Maybe I should have paid attention to Mark Twain or people before him mm-hmm. who said there is no free speech. He was afraid to even publish that because of the repercussions. Now, mm-hmm. maybe that's why he used a nom de guerre, you know, a... Um, a pen name, which you didn't. Uh, are you planning on right. doing them? You know, I right right now, no. I mean, I, I don't really know if I have a case. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm certainly gonna gonna consult some you know an attorney and, and see what I can do. I I don't know though. I mean, really, I don't know if, if I can really do much. But you're gonna try. I would I would like I would like to get some clarification, um, you know, as to how the decision was made to terminate my employment. I would like to, to figure out who contacted the city, who took the city off, what their motive was, what their agenda was. And I think that there's ways to do that. So, um, you know, I'm certainly going to try, going to try to get some clarification and, and get some more facts about this case. Um, the, the legal recourse, I, I really, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't, I don't really know if there's much I can do, but I'll certainly, I'm certainly trying to find out. <laughs> right. Are you sorry that you resigned? No, I'm not, man. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I had a feeling that this was going to happen at some point. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, but I, I, I had a feeling that this was going to come up. I mean, right, I just but don't, don't you wish, don't you wish you would have forced them to, to fire you? Looking back on it, I probably, yeah, I probably should have accepted the termination. Yeah, I, I if I would if I if I was able to go back and redo it, I probably would have accepted the termination rather than you know resigning in lieu of termination and making it easy for them because you did the honorable thing. Right. That's I mean that's just I, I could be yeah. wrong you know I'm just you know, maybe yeah different. well no I mean I I think it's clear either way the result was the same I was you know essentially being forced out of my position um, I, I think. It's, there's a very strong likelihood that it was a direct result of my website and of my political views. I can't necessarily prove that right now, but I think that I, I should be able to in, in the coming weeks. So, yeah, that's where we're at. I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, there's been a million things going through my mind in the past week or so, and you know, I got a lot going on right now. I'm hoping to hoping to find some sort of full time employment and, you know, continue this work because I think it is very important. I think that, you know, somebody's gotta be out here saying these things and I've discovered that I'm I'm you know, kind of good at doing it and, you know, I think I offer a, a unique perspective and, and you know, I'm saying some things that, that 
need to be said, and people need to be exposed to this information, and I'm going to do it. Good. Now, how about your family, John? Have you? I don't know if your family is still in Nebraska or if there's some out there on the left coast. What do they think about this? Um, you know, I've talked to my family, and, you know, they're disappointed that this has happened, but, you know, I explained to them that, you know, like I explained to you, this is, this is inevitable. This is bound to happen. And, you know, they, I, I, I think that they support me. I, I think that they're, you know, they're hoping that I can, you know, recover from this and find some sort of gainful employment. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think that they, I don't know if they necessarily agree with everything I say, but I think they support my right to say it. Like, you know, like most people do, like, you know, that's reflected in the article again. So, you know, that's that's kind of where we're at on that front. I mean, I told them, I've talked to them about it. They're aware of the situation. And, you know, they, they're just really hoping and praying for the best. Okay. Are they up to speed? And I'm confident. Go ahead. And I'm Sorry. confident. I was going to say, I'm, I'm confident that, that something positive will come out of this and things will work out just fine. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I have faith. <laughs> <laughs> are, uh, are they up to speed with, uh, you know, the topics? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they subscribe to the newspaper, um, you know, they, they read it and they, I don't know if they necessarily follow everything on my, on my website, but, you know, I, I, they're, they're well aware of my views. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Okay. And again, you know, I don't know if they entirely endorse everything, but they're at least aware of what I'm saying and writing and familiar with some of the points that I'm making. And, you know, I mean, like I said, I think they're at least opening, to, they're at least open to hearing what I have to say and, and entertaining my perspectives. Whether or not they entirely agree with everything is another matter. I don't, I don't know that for sure. I think they're probably sympathetic to many of the things that I say because, frankly, it's the truth. And, you know, people that have an open mind and critically examine what I'm saying realize that what I'm saying is the truth. So, I agree with you, my friend. If you would send to me or Skype to me that link of your older website, this way I can, I can put that up so folks can take a look at your previous writings. That would be great. Sure, yeah, I, I would definitely do that. John, anything else that you want to touch upon before we close out the show? It's all yours. Um, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think we gave our listeners and, and readers and hopefully future subscribers, um, you know, a good overview of the situation and, and what's going on. Um, you know, I think there's going to be some more details and some more information that, that will be forthcoming in, in the weeks ahead. And again, I will be post, I'm going to hopefully be posting everything that I discover on my website. So I'd encourage people to go over to the realestreport.com check out what I'm doing. You can actually type in your email address right there in the subscribe, uh, the subscribe box and you'll be notified when a new post goes up. It's just a brief, you know, a brief email. It gives you the title of the article, the, ti- uh, the, the featured image, and then a brief summary of the article. So it's, you know, nothing too annoying or anything like that. Uh, but it'll just notify you when the new material goes up there. And that'll probably be a good way to, to stay up to speed with, you know, what I'm writing about and also um, any future developments in, in, in this, you know, employment situation. Um, and, you know, I think to, to conclude, I would just say, you know, it's very important that, you know, that we're able to express our minds freely and to state basic facts about history and about, you know, the, who's really in control of this country. 
I think that, you know, it's important to support people who are doing such things. And I'd encourage people to check out my, you know, my fundraiser, support it if you can. I mean, even if you only have five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, you know, if you have a hundred bucks, you know, by all means, donate what you can, you know, support me, um, you know, so I can get through this next month or two and figure out what I'm going to do. I also have a PL box that's listed right on my website. Um, you know, if people are uncomfortable with sending any any sort of financial contribution online, they can always send something in the snail mail right to my PO box. What what is and, that? You know, what is that PO box? Yeah. The PO box is right on my website. It's PO box 35, Poway, California, 92074. And you know, I've received correspondence and, and you know some donations in the past that way, and you know it's a good way for people to. They want to send anything they can do that uh and yeah i mean i think uh we got a huge fight ahead of us and i aim to be involved in it as long as i'm able to you know as, as long as i'm living <laughs> i'm going to be in this struggle because i think it's important and frankly i'm sick and tired of being lied to i'm sick and tired of our children um you know being lied to in their in their history books and the mass media um and you know this has got to stop man that's that's what it boils down to this has got to stop and we got to start telling the truth and I'm doing it. American Free Press is doing it. And I think it's important for people to support us. I agree. Now, this is a very critical time for you. How about unemployment? Will we be able to get that? You know, I'm not even sure. I, I should be able to. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to be necessary, but I I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I'm really not sure. Okay, folks. So if you've ever wanted to help out a good American man, Now's the time. So go to that link and, like he said, five bucks, a buck, ten bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever it is. Here's a good guy who is putting the truth before anything else, obviously. And really, what else is there besides the truth? I mean, if you sacrifice the truth on the altar of political expediency or social expediency, what good are you? You're just a traitor. And, John, you're a great man. You're a great American. Thank you for coming on. And... Um, as always, looking forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, John. Good luck.
Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.